You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Eighty-seven-year-old Gladys Godfrey lived alone in a bungalow on Devon Drive on the Ladybrook Estate in Mansfield, England. The estate was mainly populated by elderly people. There was a strong sense of community and everyone knew each other. As she was housebound, she used to sleep in a chair in her living room and as she struggled with her mobility, she would use a walking frame to get around. She was friendly and kind, well-known in her local area and a much-loved member of her community. She could often be seen standing on her front doorstep, saying hello to people who passed by. She had no children but was very close to her niece Sandra. Sandra would visit her aunt once a week and the pair enjoyed a fantastic relationship. When Sandra was a child, her mother had had to work and Gladys was a huge part of her life and had helped to bring her up. Sandra had said she was like a second mother to her. On the 28th of April 2001, Gladys's bungalow was broken into. At roughly 3.30 in the morning, Gladys was asleep in the living room. She was awoken by a knocking at the front door. After Gladys got up from her chair and opened the door, a man stood in front of her. He pushed her back in and forced his way into the property. She was sexually assaulted after he had knocked her over. She was frail, standing at four foot eleven and around six stone, but she was able to hit the attacker with a bottle of lemonade. She scratched him and also pulled an earring from his ear before he took her bag and ran away. When the police arrived at the scene to take her statement, she was able to give them a description. The person who had attacked her was a slim, young, white man with dark hair. As she had scratched the offender during the struggle, samples were taken from underneath her fingernails, and these, coupled with the earring, were sent away to be analysed. A partial DNA profile was found and compared against the National DNA Database. The National DNA Database, formed in 1995, holds DNA profiles and samples taken from police suspects and samples taken from crime scenes. When this partial DNA profile taken from under her nails was put through the database, it came back with no matches. Over the days that followed, her handbag and other items that had been stolen from her house were found. Her bag was discovered on Arundel Drive, and they were able to plot the other items on a map, illustrating the direction the attacker had gone in. Paul Bacon was a solicitor and former president of the Nottingham Law Society. He said this demonstrated how caring the community was as they had all worked hard to get Gladys's items back to her. He also said that based on the location of the stolen items, it was apparent that this was a local person who knew the area. But as time went by, the police were unable to identify the offender. On Saturday the 7th of September 2002, Gladys had spent time at home whilst also seeing her best friend during the day. At 5.15am the following morning, the panic alarm was triggered. But the warden at her complex did not go to her bungalow. A few hours later, a neighbour went round to deliver a paper 
and found that Gladys's home appeared to have been ransacked. Police officers were called to the Ladybrook Estates at around 9.30am. When officers entered the property, they found the body of Gladys Godfrey. It was apparent that she had been subjected to an appalling attack. A post-mortem revealed a catalogue of more than 20 injuries. Clumps of her hair had been viciously pulled out. Her neck and skull had both been fractured. She had died from manual strangulation as well as head trauma. So severe were her injuries, her family were not allowed to identify her body. Her walker that she had used to get around was tipped over on its side, and there were bloodstains near the fireplace in the living room, and on the base and pillow of her bed. Based on the evidence at the scene, it appeared that the initial attack had taken place in the living room of the bungalow. As there was hair and blood by the fireplace, it appeared that she had been pushed to the ground. There was one blood mark that immediately got the attention of investigators. A footprint. Footprints can often be key pieces of evidence at a crime scene. The crime scene manager was able to ascertain that the footprint most likely belonged to a Euroland shoe, and this, coupled with the fingerprints found in the bungalow, added to the pile of evidence being gathered. After being beaten viciously, it appeared that she had been dragged into her bedroom. Whilst in her bedroom, she had been raped. Those who were known to Gladys had their fingerprints taken to compare with the fingerprints found at the crime scene. After doing this, there were still fingerprints inside the bungalow, belonging to an unknown person. The community was in shock. How could a frail pensioner, who was known and loved by many, have died in such an appalling way? Neighbours say Gladys Godfrey liked nothing better than to stand in her doorway and give a friendly wave to people as they went by. They just can't believe she's become a murder victim. She was a lovely little old lady and she loved to talk to people. It's unbelievable that somebody killed somebody. Detective Chief Superintendent Phil Davies said there was no evidence of items being stolen, nor was there sign of a forced entry. He said, What is clear is that prior to her death, she endured quite severe physical and sexual abuse. Any attack on an elderly person is obviously abhorrent, but this was a very severe attack. During a press conference, Detective Inspector Stuart Bailey said that they now believed the person who had committed the first attack in April of 2001 could also be responsible for her murder. Bradley said, Because of the similarity in the two offences, which were both in the early hours of the morning and at a weekend, we believe there could be a connection. We are considering a link. We are not saying there is definitely a link, but there is a strong possibility that these offences could be linked. Kevin Flint, the senior investigating officer for Nottinghamshire Police, said, It was one of, if not the most horrendous case, that we have ever investigated. The partial DNA profile from the attack on Gladys in April 2001 was compared to the full profile taken from the scene of the murder. This came back as a match. Whoever had attacked Gladys before had come back and murdered her. Some of her closest friends on Devon Drive on the Ladybrook estate in Mansfield say the pensioner's home was broken into about a year ago. 
They say that Mrs. Godfrey told them that the intruder stole her handbag and threatened to rape her. They say the incident was reported to the police. The task before the officers was huge. They needed to speak with neighbours and people in the area to try and gain any knowledge that could help catch her killer. A detective constable who was knocking on doors, Phil Cumberpatch, said, Every time you thought you were having a bad day, you thought of what happened to Gladys, and cracked on. Although they had a DNA profile, this soon proved fruitless. Whoever had raped and murdered her had not been arrested before, and their profile was not on the National DNA Database. Not only had this offender's crimes dangerously escalated and increased in brutality, but people had no way of knowing if he would attack again. Two months after the murder of Gladys Godfrey, her niece Sandra spoke at a press conference and appealed for anyone with information to come forward and talk to the police. Somebody must know something, and we just hope it will shake the memory to come forward for the slightest little thing that might be interesting. The whole family is devastated by it all. Detective Inspector Stuart Bradley said, The DNA is absolutely vital in that it will be able to take us forward and we will be able to eliminate people who are put forward to the incident room very, very quickly. Nearly five months after Gladys's murder, Crime Watch ran an appeal on her case to try and generate any new leads and as much publicity as possible. Now, 87-year-old Gladys Godfrey beat off an intruder. Well, 18 months later, he came back to rape and kill her. Sandra told the show, she was poorly and she was very frail. We did not expect her to carry on many more years, but for her to live the life she has led and then die in these circumstances, it was devastating to us all. The police kept in contact with Sandra to keep her up to date, but they still seemed no closer to closing the case. As they were still struggling to catch the killer, the police decided to change their strategy. As they had a DNA profile of the killer, they decided they would take DNA samples from all over Mansfield. It would be one of the largest elimination screenings in their history. It was voluntary, and more than 1,000 men gave samples over the following months, demonstrating how desperate the local community was to catch the killer. Unfortunately, after the mass screening was completed, the officers were back at square one. None were a match to the killer. In 2003, the Forensic Intelligence Bureau, known as the FIB, was established. Work was being carried out by scientists in Birmingham to conduct further research into familial DNA searching, aiming to find families a DNA sample could be from. Nottingham Police Force volunteered to be one of the first to trial this new investigative tool. Francis Bates, the senior intelligence officer, led the work on familial DNA testing. The FIB worked in collaboration with the police and visited the area. They were able to produce a list of people that could have been related to the murderer. Richard Pynchon, the head of the FIB, said, We established the first forensic intelligence bureau in the world, which primarily was concerned with looking at DNA from scenes of crime and analysing that and trying to forward investigations where no other information was available. The FIB would run the sample from the crime scene through the familial DNA search engine. Doing this reorders the DNA found on the DNA database in order of similarity to the sample. Richard Pynchon said, Familial DNA is the same as an eyewitness. It narrows down a list of people for the police to talk to. 
Nearly a year had passed since Gladys had been attacked and murdered in her own home, and the police were still searching for whoever was responsible. More than 2,500 men had been compared to the DNA sample, and they still had not been able to find a match. Those in the local community were living in fear, terrified that the killer could strike again. The police had followed more than 8,000 lines of inquiry, but had still not caught the murderer. In response to the feelings of fear, more than 2,000 free security alarms were given to older people living on the estate, and more than 1,000 personal alarms were given out too. Alongside this, Nottinghamshire County Council also issued leaflets to vulnerable people in the area, according to a BBC report urging people to check the identity of everyone who calls at their door before they let them in. Don't let anyone in unless you know who they are, and if you are in any doubt, call the police. The police appealed once again to the public for help, with Gladys's niece saying, I just hope somebody out there, if they know the slightest little thing, even if they think it is not important or irrelevant, then please come forward. Fifteen months had now passed since the brutal sexual assault and murder of 87-year-old Gladys Godfrey. When it came to the familial DNA testing, the first thing the intelligence team did was look at anyone on the familial DNA lists who was local to the area, and draw up family trees to eliminate as many people as possible. Two families became the immediate priority. It was voluntary for the men in these families to offer their fingerprints and DNA to rule them out of the inquiry. These samples were compared with the killer. Just 24 hours later, the news would come in that would blow the case wide open. They had finally had a match for the DNA taken from the intimate swabs, the partial profile taken from underneath her fingernails from the first attack, and the fingerprints matched 12 of the fingerprints found in the bungalow. This was a bittersweet moment for those involved. Gladys Godfrey had been subjected to a sustained and brutal attack and had died under unimaginable circumstances, but the person responsible had now been identified. An arrest plan was drawn up, and their prime suspect was soon in custody, 22-year-old Jason Ward. He was arrested at work on the 5th of December, and was swiftly taken to the police station to be processed and interviewed. In spite of the plethora of forensic evidence, he denied that he had anything to do with the sexual assault and murder of Gladys Godfrey. A search of his home was conducted to help build the case against him, In the search, they found a Euroland shoe. Analysis showed that it matched the footprint found at the scene. Traces of blood were found on the shoe also. This came back as a match for Gladys Godfrey. As the evidence continued to mount, he admitted to being the person who had gone into her bungalow and carried out the sexual assault. Jason Ward was charged with sexual assault and murder. After he was charged... He finally confessed to everything. Jason Ward was remanded in custody. He was also charged with the attempted rape of Gladys in April 2001. He was given the date of the 28th of May when he would have to go to Nottingham Crown Court. Ward had worked as a machine operator and had lived on Bentinck Street, less than two miles away from Gladys Godfrey's home. His previous address had been a quarter of a mile away. 
Just before the mass DNA screening had started, Ward had moved to just outside of the priority screening perimeter. According to a BBC article, he lived with his mother and father and had few friends, choosing to spend much of his time alone. He had had substance and alcohol abuse issues, and had received a fine for being drunk and disorderly. Someone who knew him in school told the BBC Ward was strange, weird and easily led. Paul Bacon, who had worked on more than 50 murder cases, was appointed as Ward's defence. He would later say in a documentary that it was really difficult to understand his motivation for the offence, adding, I think he found it difficult to understand his motivation too. It was arranged for psychiatric evaluations to be carried out on Jason Ward. At his first court appearance, he entered a plea of guilty to the burglary, indecent assault, rape and murder of Gladys Godfrey. Jason Ward was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 22 years for the rape and murder of Gladys Godfrey. The judge took the psychiatric evaluations into account when deciding the punishment. Francis Bates from the Forensic Intelligence Bureau, who led the pioneering familial DNA testing that helped catch Ward, was there for the sentencing. She said, I was sat in the public gallery near the family, and to see the family's reaction and to see that they had got closure in this case meant a great deal to me. I was only a small part of the case, but to know that I had helped provide that closure was really important to me, and something I still think about to this day. When talking about the vital work of familial DNA testing that had helped catch Ward, Richard Pynchon said, Without that case, and without those people working together, we would not have been able to prove how effective this was. This was a landmark case. It was the first time anywhere in the world that familial DNA searching had solved a murder. The murder of Gladys Godfrey shocked the close-knit community and devastated her family. Through the pioneering work of the FIB, familial DNA testing, and the commitment of investigators, her killer was finally brought to justice. 